Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 153. I am Dave Bryan from SteedersDepot.com, and with me doing the introduction on this Tuesday, that means Alex Kazor is not with me. He's taking a much-needed, uh, I want to say vacation, but I don't think he went anywhere. I think it's a staycation uh, for Alex uh uh, in in Pittsburgh and the surrounding area uh, there, but uh, much needed on his part before the start of uh, training camp uh, this year, which I think will be kind of one week from tomorrow. If I'm looking at the calendar correct, today is July 18th, 2023, and helping fill in for Alex Kazora on this Tuesday, we have longtime Steelers Depot contributors Josh Carney and Jonathan Hightritter. You obviously have heard them on the podcast before, especially around draft time and uh, you know, filling in when I'm on vacation here. Uh, Josh and Jonathan, welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Thank you for having me on again. I certainly appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to be on the podcast with you guys. I'm just ready to talk some more Steelers football. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I think the most notable thing going on right now uh, around the NFL in general, there's not a lot of Steelers news to to obviously talk about uh, at this time as we kind of sit and wait for Joey Porter Jr. to sign his rookie contract. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Alex Highsmith in a contract extension uh, moving on into training camp. No roster moves uh, as of late here. The 90 has been uh, the same 90 for a little bit here, but uh, the franchise tag, tag deadline or actually the uh, the deadline to sign franchise tagged players to long-term deals uh, was on Monday. That came and went. Uh, I think there were five tagged players this year. Uh, only two of them, I think, ended up getting deals. Lamar Jackson and Evan Ingram uh, tied into the Jacksonville Jaguars. Obviously, the, the Lamar Jackson deal happened you know, you know, several, several weeks ago, uh, the Ingram deal happened just a few days ago. The other three tag players are all running backs, uh, with, uh, let's see, who was it? Uh, Saquon Barkley, uh, Josh Jacobs and, uh, Tony Pollard of the Cowboys. And none of those three players ended up signing long-term deals. They're going to have to, uh, play underneath the franchise tag amount of a little bit of more than $10 million. Uh, this year, that's got the whole you know uh, uh, running backs around the league uh, up in arms, and understandably so. You've even had people like uh, Najee Harris come out and you know voice their displeasure about it. Uh, but I, I don't think this is surprising at all. What has happened here with the running back market? Uh, I'll throw it out to both of you guys. I mean, what if anything can be done here? with the running back market and, you know, are you surprised at, at, at the way things have transpired this offseason here? 
I, I am not surprised, and I don't think anything can be done at this point. I think the game has changed. Um, people are seeing you know market inefficiencies when it comes to the running back position. These guys break down physically, um, you know, over time, and and it's not a a wise investment. You know, you like to say that running backs are fungible, and you know, it, it, while it it kind of hurts to hear that as a guy that likes running backs, it's it's also true. Uh, I mean, you see it year after year after year. Uh, you can find these guys in the late rounds of the draft. You can find them as undrafted free agents. You can find them on free agent scrap heaps, and these guys can produce. Um, you know, part of me feels bad for these running backs because year after year they get more and more, you know, devalued. But at the same time, it's not like they're being offered penny to play the position. You know, they're still getting fair market contract offers, and, um, you know, they're not willing to take that. But it was interesting to see you know, the running backs kind of join in on, on social media last night and kind of go after Miller, who who made a good point. I don't think it was his opinion. He was saying this is what the NFL does. You draft a guy, you roll wheels off of him, and then you discard him in, in, you know, in the trash and go get another one. Um, but I, I just – I don't think anything can be done market-wise at this point. You know, these guys, uh, especially the dual-threat guys like a Saquon Barkley who can – you know, run in and, and catch the ball out of the backfield. They want to reset the market. They want to get what they feel is uh, fair to them. Teams aren't willing to dump that kind of money into these guys, considering the position they play. Uh, the game has certainly changed, and and uh, you know, I don't think it's going to change back in favor of the running backs anytime soon. Where teams value them and want to give them long term contracts. We just have so much data. Uh, on these guys in terms of when they break down, how their bodies hold up physically, you know, over the life of their careers. And it's just not a wise investment. And unfortunately, that's the business that they're in at this point. So I don't think anything can be done. Jonathan? Yeah, I'm just kind of looking at like the guaranteed salaries of the average per year earnings of like running backs compared to wide receivers. And it's just kind of crazy to think like a guy like, you know, Christian Kirk at 18 million per year, like would be at tops of the running back market or someone like Hunter Renfro or Corey Davis, like are making like the same, if not more money than guys like Derrick Henry and Saquon Barkley and those like household names at the running back position, you know, but that just, again, goes to what Josh talked about in terms of the position in itself and the fungibility of said position. The wide receiver position has blown up in the past year with deals that we've seen to Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill and whatnot. Whereas the running back position, people are realizing, yes, they do fall off the cliff very quickly in terms of what we've seen recently with guys like Leonard Fournette and Ezekiel Elliott, just guys that have dominated in the lead for a while and then just see that complete drop off. And a lot of teams want to be able to be quick to that. And yeah, it's it's unfair in terms of the running back's perspective that, you know, if you draft a running back in the first round, you have four years of them on the rookie deal. You can go ahead and extend them their fifth year option. You can go ahead and franchise tag them once and potentially franchise tag them again. And then you have seven years of control with ever actually committing to the running back itself. So that way they can get another big bite of the apple in terms of a long-term deal. But if you're a general manager, if you're in the front office, that makes the most sense from a business perspective in terms of managing your team, in terms of regulating costs and being able to try and build a winning roster. It starts with the running back position. And it stinks for guys that are dual threats like Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, who impact their team in such a way. But when you look at the drop off from like even some of those guys to other running backs that, you know, you say are fungible, they're a dime a dozen that, that you can basically plug them in and they're going to produce. 
I mean, we had Najee Harris dealing with injuries last year and everyone's like, well, we should play Jalen Warren over him because he like flashed more and us understanding the method of the game and how those skill sets are different. Like we understand Najee Harris's value to the Steelers, but also just seeing Jalen Warren come in and do like just as well, if not better in some instances last year, it's kind of hard to be able to support that in terms of having running backs reset the market and be these high earners. I mean, this is a situation of, of, of hate hate the game, not the player, right? And the exactly. game and the game being the CBA uh, within this. I mean, uh, the the owners, you know, are, are basically just you know are doing what they can do until they change this. We're either uh, in in the next CBA where I don't know they they ought to a they should either. You know, and, and it's going to be an ongoing thing. They're probably never going to fully get the franchise tag uh, rustled away from the owners. Uh, that that should be where they they start at. But uh, if they can't get that, then they probably need to try to fight for kind of uh, one one tag for like the offensive for any offensive player. Because if you if you get in there and start saying, okay, well, skill position should be this tag amount. Uh, meaning wide receiver, running back, tight end, and 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 that should be classified as one position group in its whole and tag amount. Then the offensive linemen are going to feel slighted. They're going to say, "Well, what about us?" You know, uh, and then obviously quarterbacks don't want to be lumped into uh, uh, you know that franchise tag amount because they 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 want they. they Know that their positions uh, highly regarded as the one or the mo- or the most important one on the field. So I, you know, I just don't see uh, any any quick solution here until le- a ne- the next CBA comes along and they stand their ground and either get you know one a, a, a tag amount for offensive players and a tag amount for defensive players and work off that. But even then, you know, are you what's going to keep you know, okay, you tag a, a player at this position, but what about the others that become free agents and don't work uh, under the tag? Owners are still going to break this down by position and say, well, this is the highest paid running back, and we're going to go off of that positional market there. I think this sets up interesting bringing Najee Harris and the Steelers back into this conversation is obviously after this 2023 season, the Steelers have a decision to make uh, on, on, on Najee Harris and the fifth year option. And it's kind of hard to, you know, we have to project ahead what that amount will be. Let's say it's somewhere between 10 and $11 million uh, for that amount. I mean, that's basically the franchise tag amount uh, 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 this year for, for running backs. And that fifth-year option amount anyways would be for the 2025 season. Uh, so let's say it was – let's say it's $11 million, You decide to go ahead and, and, and pick up the fifth-year option on Najee Harris next offseason. I mean, you're talking about – uh, you know, unless you give him a new deal, which I don't see happening ahead of that, he's only going to earn eleven million dollars, which is a million more than a franchise tag this year. And then, if you if you want to even project a little further out there, what's going to happen at, at with these top three guys at the at the top of the running back market right now? Meaning C- Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, and 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 Derrick Henry, and let's even throw in Nick Chubb, uh, who's slightly behind. Uh, Derrick Henry at this point are all four of those guys 
still going to be under on 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 the contract that they're on now. Uh, come come, you know, time for for Najee Harris to get paid, and if they're not, does that mean that the top of the market? for a new contract for, for, for Najee Harris, let's say going in, you know, he's got, let's say uh, going into the uh, summer of 2025 and he's wearing that $11 million fifth year option uh, number. I mean, could the top of the market be $12 million for him? And the Steelers say, look, we'll make you the highest paid running back in the NFL. Don't fault us that it's only $12 million. You see where I'm going here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's going to be the case. I mean, the only one that I'd feel good about still being with his team and, and being the highest paid running back, honestly, and this might surprise both of you, is Nick Chubb. Uh, because, you know, we've seen McCaffrey has struggled with injuries in the past. Derrick Henry, I think he's on the wrong side of 30. Uh, you know, Kamara's got some off the field stuff and he's he's on the wrong side of 30 as well. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just. Oh, oh, Nick! Wait a minute, Nick Chubb. By the way, the final year of his current contract's two thousand twenty-four. So okay, so he's oh yeah, so he's coming up too. And I think I think when he did his extension, it was what four years, forty-eight, and it was. I mean, that, even then, that was under market value for him. So I, I think some of these guys are going to kind of just have to swallow their pride if they want that financial security, in a sense of you know taking a decent amount of, of guaranteed money, but knowing that they're not going to get what they truly feel they're worth. I mean, it's just the position at this point. And I, I also wouldn't be surprised if this starts to happen at the receiver position as well. I mean, college game, the way that it is and receivers coming into the league and, and kind of hitting the ground running like they are. I, I don't know that teams are going to be so willing to, to drop top dollar into receivers year after year after year, just with, the market and the way it is and, and guys coming up from behind. But uh, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what Steelers do with Najee. I do think that they're going to pick up the fifth year unless he just has a catastrophic season here um, this fall. But in baseball terms, he's, he's, you know, he has a capped cost. He's controllable in that sense. And you don't have to worry about that position uh, at least for the 2025 season, but the market's just a mess. And, and, you know, as more and more guys get into the front office and they're smarter and they look at this stuff, you know, they're going to try and find ways to be more cost efficient and, and have that money for the more important premium positions like quarterback, offensive line, pass rusher, cornerback. It's just, it's just the way the game is, um, you know, so you got kids, don't let them be running back. That's <laughs> the only, that's the only real thing you can do at this point. Jonathan, look into your crystal ball here. Uh, Will Najee Harris sign uh, a long-term uh, lucrative extension uh, prior to the two start of the 2025 season that will make him, let's say, the one of the top two highest running backs in the league? I would say no. I would say no. And it's just like we look at the front office as currently constructed under Omar Khan and how – methodical he does different things in terms of managing and massaging the cap and that's difficult because obviously you see cases where like he wanted to make sure that we got minka and dj and all those guys done last year right and boswell before starting training camp you look at like the emphasis that he put on trying to potentially get alex highsmith done before the start of the regular season this year but again you look at those positions and how those positions affect the team and relative to the running back position and you got to know that Omar Khan kind of views it the same way. 
in terms of the value of running back across the league. And that's the difficult thing because you have a running back in Najee Harris who has been good but isn't like this game-breaker, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley-esque type of player. He's very steady. He's a guy that can be a bell cow. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, but he doesn't have that second gear, like, you know, breakaway speed that you would want in your traditional feature back. And, you know, it's difficult to justify giving that top dollar to a running back that is good, but, like, what's his defining trait? Like, yes, he can carry the load. Yes, he can catch the ball out of the backfield, but he doesn't have that, say, like, breakaway speed at his size relative to a Derrick Henry who has a contract up until the end of this year and then it goes into a void year and then what's going to happen with him because he will be 30 at the end of this year and yeah it's hard to see the Titans being able to continue with that and just sitting at it from Pittsburgh's perspective yes they could have contract or control over Najee for six potentially seven years and not have to fork it over to him being able to extend go with a fifth year option franchise tag him again which makes so much more sense rather than extending him because you're saving at least two to three million dollars against the cap that way and then you could even franchise tag him again like they were going to do with Le'Veon Bell and that's where it's going to become a battle of being able to do what's wise in terms of managing the cap and building a roster versus being able to you know reward someone in your organization that feels like they should be like compensated for what they have done because Najee Harris is not only a good football player, but he's a great human being. He's great presence in the locker room. And he's one of those guys that wants to be a leader for the team, but it'll be interesting to see down the line. If any animosity gets created between the Steelers and Najee Harris, now that Najee's kind of seen this in the first couple of years, he's like, I just need to get my feet underneath me in the NFL. Whereas now it's like, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to get a bite at this apple based off of how they're going to run me into the ground. And if they're going to be able to give me a contract offer after that. Yeah, I think he's starting. Uh, I think he's definitely over the course of this offseason here. And we've seen him kind of speak out on this several times. He's he's understanding the, the business side of things right now. Once again, I mean, he could get in a situation, you know, depending on what happens with these guys like Christian McCaffrey, because uh, McCaffrey, I think, uh, is signed through the 2025 season, I think, because I think he's got a void year uh, beginning in 2026. And then Kamara, I think, is in the same situation as him. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Derek Henry's contract voids 2020, uh, uh, next offseason. Uh, Chubb uh, becomes a free, unrestricted free agent in 2025. Aaron Jones, who's kind of had his contract done, but is backloaded. His he has a void year in 2025. And then next up are the three guys that got the franchise tag uh, this year. I mean, we could realistically be looking at a situation that even if the Steelers just said they wanted to pay Najee Harris on a long-term deal uh, at, at and make him the highest paid running back that number might be $12 million, you know? Uh, uh, so it could be interesting to, to watch that play out. What let's move forward with Najee Harris in 2023. What does a successful season look like for Najee Harris? And I'll start with Jonathan first this time. So I would say with Najee Harris, a successful season is something along the lines of what he had as a rookie, but just being more efficient, more efficient on a per carry basis, more efficient on a per catch basis. He doesn't need to try and break the rookie receiving record again in terms of receptions with 74. But I think that we saw a little bit return back to that at the end of last season because he was just so inefficient to start the year. And that was, you know, the offensive line failing to gel together, but also him just 
being indecisive as a runner and just saying, yeah, you're a, you know, six foot two, 240 pound plus back, you know, you don't need to be dancing out in the middle of the field. You should be able to put your shoulder down, you know, and pick up the hard yards. Like he is a bell cow. He is a workhorse back. He needs to recognize that. So I think with him and the offensive line improvements that they have right now, adding a guy like Isaac Samalo, who knows how soon Project Jones cracks the lineup. I think with that as well as having a guy like Jalen Warren that can spell him and help him keep him fresh so he's not wearing down at the end of games. I think in terms of a statistical like expect- expectation for him, I would say, you know, you want to see at least twelve to thirteen hundred yards rushing on the ground. And then I would say at least another three to 400 receiving on top of that. So I'm saying at least 16, 1700 total yards. And then I would like to see him anywhere from that probably 10 to 13 total touchdowns, like kind of like in that ballpark uh, and just kind of being one of the top backs in the league in terms of all purpose yards, because he is a well-rounded dual threat back that can catch the ball out of the backfield that can run routes. We saw that example with that impressive catch he made in the Ravens game at the end of the game there to win it for Pittsburgh, but also just his ability to carry the load and being able to close out games if Pittsburgh has a lead late in the fourth quarter. So I would say that, you know, probably at least 16, 1700 yards, 12 to 13 touchdowns, like total. I would say that's a good expectation for Najee going into 2023. Josh is a hundred yards a game from scrimmage, both re- rushing and receiving. You know, and, and, you know, basically what Jonathan said, six, you know, seven, let's say, let's, let, let's put the bar at 1600, uh, for the season, total yards from scrimmage, a little less than a hundred yards, uh, per game. How, how, how attainable is that for him? I think it's very attainable, assuming health. I mean, they obviously made improvements along the offensive line. They have a style that they want to play very clearly. Um, I'd have to go back and look at, at his numbers in the second half of the year from a total yard standpoint, but I think he finally figured out the second half of the year who he was as a running back after he got healthy. And that's what, you know, Jonathan mentioned, putting his head down, being that bell cow, going forward, not trying to be this dancing run back and, you know, trying to make guys miss and hit the home run constantly. Uh, I, I certainly think 100 yards from scrimmage uh, each game is attainable for him, though I think. I think his targets will be down from a receiving standpoint. I don't think he's going to be on the field on third downs again. Uh, and then just obviously with the added pass catchers around him, uh, I don't think he's going to have that that heavy of a workload as a receiver. But I, I see no reason why he shouldn't be you know close to 100 yards on the ground in general um, each game this year. You know, I know a lot of people are caught up on the 3.9 yards per carry. Uh, issue with him but I I think a successful year for him is kind of in that ballpark with Jonathan you know 1300 1400 yard ground eight to ten touchdowns and just have over four yards of carry and I think he can do you know the the 16 1700 total yards very easily assuming health you know I think last year it's well known that that foot was bothering him and once he had that plate taken out of his shoe he was a different running back Uh, so hopefully he doesn't get stepped on again um you know, in training camp, he has a full training camp and can hit the ground running here early in the season. All right. Uh, Kenny Pickett, obviously going to be under the microscope uh, heading into his second NFL season. Uh, got to got to play and start, obviously, a lot of games during his rookie season. Doesn't have all that BS of the rookie 
uh, off season. You know, in, in other words, he, you know, he, and he said as much on the Cam Hayward podcast, uh, recently, you know, that, you know, to- this is a totally different off season for him. He's able to focus on football. Uh, I think everybody would agree everything that's come out of Kenny Pickett's mouth, uh, since the end of last season has been absolutely fantastic. It's the thing. If you have your fan hat on, you definitely want to, want to, want to hear, uh, you have got has gotten the guys together a few times this offseason. Uh, you even look at the end of season last year and the trajectory that he was on, obviously limiting the interceptions uh, and, and really the sacks in the second half of the season. Had a couple of the game-winning drives, fourth-quarter comebacks and all like that. Uh, he's played now. Uh, there's probably... I mean, there, there's obviously some, but there's probably not many people, especially fans of the Steelers, who are not uh, bullish on Kenny Pickett heading into his second season. Now, where the difference is, is what degree of bullish, you know, how bullish, how bullish are you? Uh, so let's play a game of how bullish are you <laughs> on on Kenny Pickett uh, uh, heading into his second season? What what are what are your expectations for Kenny Pickett in his second season, Josh? I have you know over three thousand passing yards and at least twenty touchdowns pegged for him. Um, you know through the air. That's not counting rushing touchdowns and all that. Uh, I, I think obviously they've added pieces around him. They've invested in the offensive line in front of him. You know we saw flashes down the stretch last season uh, of what he can become. You know, I think it's it's been pretty surprising to me, at least, you know, going back through all 13 games that he played in last year with his 12 starts and then looking at some of the deep ball metrics that have come out here this offseason, just how successful he was. Uh, you know, I think that's going to be the next step that he takes. And if he can start having more and more success with that deep ball, I think he's really going to take that next step. But I see no reason why, you know, 3,000 passing yards, 20 touchdowns uh, isn't obtainable for this guy assuming that he plays you know 16 17 games but uh, I'm pretty bullish on him you know just for his his on-field intangibles in a sense like his his leadership the moxie he shows in big situations like there's nothing it seems at this point that is going to phase this guy it's really impressive and I think he's had a a a heck of an offseason you mentioned everything that's come out of his mouth has been impressive uh, he just has that feel of a franchise quarterback and a leader that guys are are gravitating around and key for a young offense. I mean, outside of what Allen Robinson, they're all 27 and under with the skill guys. So that's right in his ballpark. I, I think he's going to have that second year leap. I don't think he's going to be like a Jalen Hurts type leap uh, where he's in the MVP conversation, but I think you're going to see consistently here in this upcoming season why the Steelers were so intrigued with him, why they were thrilled that he was on the board at 20 overall in that draft. Uh, and I, I think he's going to more and more put on his his plate here um, compared to what it was last year. And, and hopefully Matt can opens this, this, uh, this offense up a little bit more and starts pushing the ball down the field because Pickett, just based on the numbers last year, showed he could do it at times. So uh, just to reiterate, 3,000 passing yards, 20 passing touchdowns is my bare minimum expectation for Pickett this year. Jonathan Hightrader, how bullish are you on Kenny Pickett heading into his second season? I really want to be bullish, but honestly, I'm kind of finding it difficult to do so just kind of based on where this offense has been the last couple of years under Matt Canada. 
I like the the things that Pickett showed at the end of last season in terms of being able to show poise and leadership and being able to drive the offense down the field when it mattered most. But also there's a lot of times when watching like that Raiders game or watching that Ravens game at the end when, you know, he completed these great game winning drives where it's just like, what the heck is the offense doing for the first two to three quarters and then turning it on the fourth quarter in the last drive of the fourth quarter. That is consistency that needs to pick up. Obviously they've added a lot of weapons around him. Much like Josh has said, they have a lot of, there's a plethora of skill position players at wide receiver, running back, tight end. The offensive line has been beefed up with a guy like Isaac Sayamalu and who knows how soon Roger Jones will be able to contribute if he will be, beating out Dan Moore and be able to provide better play on a consistent basis than what Dan Moore has shown us over his first two seasons. So this, everything is around Pickett to succeed. He showed us glimpses of it last year, but the thing is you need consistency out of those glimpses. And with that, you need Kenny Pickett's consistency to improve, but also you need the reliability of the offense to come together under Matt Canada. And that's a question that I have for myself, just knowing like this offense looked, you know, kind of lost at times, even under Ben Roethlisberger while being like almost an 18 year vet. And now having Kenny Pickett going into a second year, like he has a lot more experience, but is he a guy that's going to be able to be more consistent than not, you know, in that second season? I really hope so. I'm kind of in with Josh in the line of projecting a little over 3000 passing yards, 20 touchdowns and seeing that progression that way, especially being able to finish drives and being able to do well in the red zone, because Pittsburgh's offense has struggled in the red zone mightily the last couple of seasons. And that is something that they need to do. They need to be able to finish drives, be able to put points on the board rather than driving 10, 12 plays and finishing with nothing. So I would say I have, I'm cautiously optimistic that Pickett will be able to show us. But in terms of taking that Jalen Hurts, Trevor Lawrence-esque leap in year two, again, I'm kind of like hesitant to believe that'll happen. Just kind of knowing, like in having seen you know, the struggles that Pickett had even in the second half of the season with consistency, as well as believing that Matt Canada can actually get the job done here in this season as the offensive coordinator. All right. What is the stone cold lead pipe lock of the century of the year of the month uh, when it comes to uh, Kenny Pickett's over under numbers, the, the, the latest update uh, over under 18 and a half touchdown passes thrown or over under 3,500 total passing yards? Where is the where is the lock, Josh? I think it's got to be the touchdowns. I think 3,500 passing yards is a little bit of a stretch for me, uh, but I think that, that you said, what, 18 and a half touchdowns? Right. Yeah, I think that's the lock to go over. I think this team's going to be better in the red zone. They've got bigger weapons. I mean, you could just put – Darnell Washington out there and throw it at the the crossbar in a sense and say, go get it. Um, I I think he's going to have, like I said, about 20 touchdowns. So that's my lock for him. But 3,500 passing yards feels like a little bit of a bridge too far for me right now. Jonathan? Yeah, I would agree with the touchdowns. I would expect him to at least average over a touchdown a game for the year. So I would say, you know, over 18 and a half, I would say with the touchdowns. In terms of the yardage, like, I kind of like did some calculations earlier, like on the site in terms of like realistic expectations for Kenny Pickett in year two. And I think like, you know, projecting around like 32 to 3,400 yards is reasonable. You would like to see him hit that 3,600 mark, but 
you know, how much are they going to be throwing the ball, whether if it be they're trailing in from behind and trying to play catch up or, you know, are they straying away from this? Like we're going to win on the ground. We're going to be this run heavy team. Uh, so I think that you want to see those numbers improve in terms of having a well-rounded offense and Kenny Pickett being able to win through the air with his arm. But at the same time, I think with Pittsburgh's mentality, it's like we can want Pickett to do that. But at the same time, we want to be able to alleviate that pressure off of him and be able to win with our running game. That way, not everything is on his plate in year two. And just being able to ease that transition to be that quarterback that can, you know, will his team to victory at different points in time. And you can do that without throwing for, you know, 250, 300 yards a game. So I would, you know, probably hesitate to take that 3,600 mark. I would say probably closer to 32, you know, 3,000 to 3,200 is probably more fair for Pickett in his second season. Should he stay healthy? Would I like to see him get to that point? Yeah, but it's also context like, okay, then a bunch of shootouts are they, you know, falling from the plane from behind. So definitely take the touchdowns yardage. I'm a little more uh, hesitant on that one. I mean, every, every, both of you agree, though, if, if he throws 20 touchdowns and 3,600 yards and obviously limits, you know, ha, has a low interception uh, rate and isn't getting sacked a ton, that, that's a successful second season for him, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you said 3,600 passing yards. I mean, that'd be, that, that'd be massive if he did 3,600 passing yards, 20 touchdowns, limited the turnovers again. Like, that's that would be a heck of a season. You know, I've just kind of been looking at other second year quarterbacks from previous years. Like even if he has, you know, I'm going to use Mac Jones and I'm sure people are, are kind of groaning when they hear this, but like 14 games last year, Mac Jones had 3000 passing yards, 14 touchdowns. He did have 11 interceptions, but like if you can have that type of, of year over 16, 17 games compared to the Mac Jones had, you know, the interceptions might be a concern, but, you take care of the football, you you complete your passes, you know, you move the offense consistently, make big throws when you're needed. Like that's a successful season to me. I'm not going to get too caught up though in the 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 interception numbers because uh you know, sometimes there's context needed on 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 interceptions. So, uh, and we've seen that over the years. So, I mean, just just take care of the ball though in general and and we have to see that progression from him, that consistent progression. You know, like we saw late in games, like Jonathan mentioned uh, in the second half of the year. So um, it they've done everything they need to do around him. They've given him the, the weapons. They've given him the offensive line. Now it's on picket to to produce. All right, let's, uh, let's look at the two main wide receivers he'll be throwing to in 2023. Obviously, Deontay Johnson and George uh, Pickens. Uh, you know, expecting Deontay to kind of – the hope is, you know, he kind of erases some of these narratives, you know, the 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 drops, the running backwards after the catch. Uh, they didn't do him a lot of favors in getting him the football out in space, obviously, last season. Uh, and, you know, the things that need to improve just in general on, on offense is, is yards after the catch and, 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 and explosive plays here. But let's look at Johnson and Pickett, uh, both those guys. Uh which one will lead the team in res, res, of the two will lead in in receptions? Which one will was, uh, lead the team in reception yardage? And will either one of them crack, you know, a hundred yards, a thousand yards uh, receiving? That's a mouthful there, but Jonathan attacked that. 
I think with receptions, you have to go with Deontay just based off of the target volume that he's seen. I, you know, operating that X receiver position, I think that he's definitely going to be seeing the yardage. Now, the question is, is, you know, is Matt Canada and the offense going to allow him to like what you wrote about earlier this offseason date is like, are they going to allow him to be able to run, run more routes to be able to maximize more yak opportunities because he's like outs, these, you know, comebacks, these like curl routes, like it's not being able to maximize Deontay in terms of creating after the catch. So and when it comes to actually like yardage, uh, just seeing how George Pickens operated down the field last season and how on a lot less targets, a lot less receptions, how he was very close to Deontay in terms of yardage. If he were expecting the offense to look something similar to what it was last year, I would actually hedge to say that Pickens probably has more yardage than Deontay Johnson, just based off of their role in the offense. And also the fact that, you know, with Deontay working closer to the intermediate portions of the field, most of the time, whereas Pickens working mostly down the field, the fact that they have more weapons to their disposal this year compared to last year to be able to take, uh, you know, attention off of Pickens. So they can't, you know, bracket coverage him or double cover him down the field with guys like Allen Robinson, guys like Pat Fryermuth, guys like Darnell Washington, Calvin Austin, and Deontay. I think that's going to really open things up for one-on-ones with Pickens. And you saw that connection for with Pickett to Pickens at points throughout the season where he would just put it up and say, Pickens is going to come down with it. And he's one of the better contested catch receivers down the field right now in the league. So statistically speaking anyway. So I would say definitely go with Pickens in terms of yardage, Deontay in terms of receptions, then touchdowns. I would go with Pickens as well too, just seeing what he can do in the red zone as well as down the field where it just seemed like they would get close inside the 20 and they would try and scheme up things for Deontay Johnson and whether it just didn't work in terms of the chemistry between Deontay and Pickett or the fact that they would just go to one of their bigger targets, whether it be Fryermuth here, Darnell Washington or Pickens. Like, I think that Pickens is going to be in a good bet to probably be the better in terms of touchdowns scored from the receiver position. Well, either of them hit 100 catches and or 1,000 yards. I don't think that any either of them will hit a th- or 100 catches just based off the offense that they have and just how much I think there will be a quote-unquote spreading of the wealth. I think just based off of, like, last year – just seeing the pace that Pickens was on at the end of the season as he kind of got worked in, as well as the fact that, you know, Deontay was had a, over 147 targets and, you know, was under 900 receiving yards. I think that it's a good bet that one of them could hit a thousand yards this year. I don't think both of them will just based off of the way the offensive structured. And again, the embarrassment of Richens that, you know, Pittsburgh has at the receiver position outside of them. Because how much does Allen Robinson bounce back from an injury? How much does Calvin Austin get factored in? Does Pat Fryermuth push six, seven hundred yards receiving? How does Darnell Washington get factored in? Najee Harris. I think that that's where you could see a, a potential position where they all cannibalize each other in terms of the receptions and the yardage. And they all have a lot of great options, but not really any one truly sticks out. So if I had to hedge, I would probably say just because we've seen Deontay do it before, I think he could hit a thousand yards. I think Pickens could fall just under short of like probably around, you know, 900. But um, I think that, yeah, it's just a tough thing when you have so many different options at your disposal. I think either of them is capable of it. It's just, you know, will you get the opportunities and the volume to get it done? Josh, where do you weigh in on this? I was going exactly with what Jonathan was getting towards that at the end. You know, they're going to cannibalize each other. I think, 
I, I think Deontay leads the team in receptions. I think that's that's a layup uh, there. I think Pickens leads in yards. Uh, but I, I don't think anybody gets over a thousand receiving yards this year. I think DJ is going to have a, a similar year to what he had 2020. I think he had like 900 some yards that season, but, um, you know, seven or eight touchdowns. And, you know, Pickens have over 900 yards, but, uh, you know, I think based off everything we've seen so far this offseason, and we'll see how it looks in training camp too, but I think Allen Robinson's have a, you know, a decent role as well, and he's going to take some targets and yards. Uh, so I think they're just going to cannibalize each other and, you know, nobody's going to have over a thousand yards, but hopefully we're not talking about, you know, a receiver not having any touchdowns again. Um, you know, I think, I think DJ is going to bounce back uh, and, and hopefully quiet some of these narratives that uh, seem to to catch fire every off season with him. I think he's a very good player, consistently open. He's a, he's a number one receiver. Um, uh, I think he's going to lead in receptions and then and Pickens will lead in yards uh, just because of that, that deep ball ability, but nobody over a thousand. I, I think that's a, a lock for me right now. All right, let's stick on the offensive side of football, busy off season for Omar Khan and the Steelers, uh, not only in free agency, but in the draft best offensive addition, either free agency or the draft on offense, Josh. I, on offense, I'm going to go Isaac Samalu. I I really like that guy. I thought it was a great signing. You know, after the flurry of moves that they made, you know, early on in free agency, I, I kind of didn't think there was going to be anything else coming. And you know, sure enough, Samalu comes in because of the you know the Andy Weidel connection and obvious need at left guard. I think he is an impactful guard. Uh, I think he's perfect for the style that this team wants to play. And I'm really looking forward to watching him and seeing how he can solidify left guard and eventually, you know, whether that's help Broderick Jones develop in the NFL or, or you know, solidify Dan Moore early in the season. I think he's going to be huge for that left guard or that left tackle position next to him. Uh, so he's my he's my answer. Um, I think I earlier in the offseason, I listed him as the most important, um, you know, stealer entering the year uh, for me. So. That's that's who I'm going with is Samalu. Uh Jonathan, same question. Best offensive addition this offseason, either free agency or draft. I guess I should say trade too, because uh uh Allen Robinson was acquired via a trade. Yeah, I would side with Sayamalu as well, too. He just kind of gives off that kind of James Daniels kind of vibe from last year, where it's just like he was definitely one of the best, if not the best, offensive guard available. And just seeing the experience and the steadiness that he had and just hearing about how his former teammates, Jason Kelsey, and even a guy, an analyst like Brian Baldinger talking about like how good and how well he kind of like rounded out that like very good Eagles offensive line. And say Amalu didn't really garner a whole lot of attention compared to guys like Lane Johnson or guys like Jason Kelsey. But at the same time, like just the steadiness that he had in terms of pass protection as well as being able to generate a good push in the running game. I think that's going to do wonders having him besides whether it be Project Jones rookie or Dan Moore Jr. or Dan Moore Jr. And then having a guy like Mason Cole and James Daniels round out that interior offensive line. I think that's going to be huge, not only for picking and pass protection, but also being able to maximize Najee Harris. I will speak a little bit to uh, Allen Robinson, the addition with him. Just thinking like Pittsburgh traded down, what, 13 spots and got a receiver that was recognized as a wide receiver, one alpha receiver for a good portion of his NFL career, both in Jacksonville and Chicago. Has he been that guy recently the last two seasons? Absolutely not. But it's kind of gone with injury with him, whether it be injury that he has suffered or injury from his quarterback like Matt Stafford last year for him. 
And I think just having that guy, that proven receiver as your wide receiver, like three running in the slot and also being able to intermix in different like situations. I think that's a huge benefit for Pittsburgh, not only for Kenny Pickett having a like very reliable, trusted veteran that he can go to in all different situations and all quadrants of the field, but also just being able to give, you know, like the younger guys in the room, a role model and a guy that they can talk to guys like George Pickens, guys like Calvin Austin, and be able to take that off of Deontay Johnson, where he is like more of a leader by example in his work ethic. He's not necessarily the most vocal leader out there. So you can go ahead and put in more of a guy that has been an alpha receiver a long time, like Allen Robinson into that room. I think that's going to be able to raise the value of the room a whole lot more with his addition. All right, flip over to the other side of the football. Best defensive addition, either free agency or the draft by the uh, uh, for the Steelers this offseason. Jo- uh, Josh? That's a tough one. You know, I want to say <laughs> Landon Roberts just because I, I love that guy. I love watching him. But I think the best addition overall for me is, is going to be Marcus Golden. Uh, I, I think just having that veteran third outside linebacker, a guy that's able to come in, take snaps away, uh, from High Smith and TJ Watt in a, in a good way, uh, keep guys fresh is going to be huge. The only other one I'd consider though would be Joey Porter Jr. because I think he's going to play immediately and then could have a sizable impact at a position of need. But um, for this exercise, my my answer is Marcus Golden. I've loved that guy since he's been in the NFL. Uh, he was tremendous at Missouri, and then uh, he just he hit in Arizona, and he's he's had I believe three. Uh, you know, 10 plus sack seasons. That guy just knows how to get after the quarterback. And, uh, it's going to be the, the best outside linebacker three they've had in, in recent years, not counting uh, Elvin Ingram. So uh, that's the addition that I think is the best move that they've made on that side of the football. Jonathan, same question. I would, I like the Marcus Golden edition and that's where I was kind of thinking the same way with Josh is kind of like, you know, he may not be technically a starter, but the value that he brings Pittsburgh and like the, the quality of player that he's shown over the course of his career is really nice. I have to go with probably Patrick Peterson though, just looking at the loss of a guy like Cameron Sutton to the Lions in free agency this year and then signing Patrick Peterson shortly after that. Not only from like, you know, the player perspective, yes, he's getting long in the tooth. He's going to be 33 as is when the season starts. But I look at just how he's remained productive, even in his age and just kind of like kind of doing the same thing that we kind of saw with Joe Hayden, how he may have lost a step as he got older, but he was still a very instinctive, very good, like technically sound player. Plus, it'll be interesting to see how Pittsburgh uses Peterson because apparently he has been getting some run in the slot as well as playing more on the outside on the boundary uh, and just how they intermatch with that, whether a guy like Chen and Sullivan becomes their primary slot defender, or if they want to try and roll Joey Porter out there on the boundary along with Levi Wallace and click, uh, kick a guy like Peterson into the slot. Statistically, he hasn't been great there over his uh, career for Peterson in the slot anyway. But I think that having that guy that, you know, is willing to move in and out and just have that experience. And again, not only just the production that he brings, but also the mentorship that he brings as well too. And having that other like lead alpha dog in the secondary along with Minka Fitzpatrick is so key and so vital just because you have a bunch of young guys who have looked up to Patrick Peterson throughout his entire NFL career. And now he is like their teammate and having guys like Joey Porter Jr., Corey Trice Jr., all those dudes being able to look to him and being able to, have him as like a second coach, like on the field with them. I think that's really going to help them and aid them in their development. So I think both, you know, on the field as well as off the field, I would say Patrick Peterson's probably the biggest defensive ad for me. 
All right. Uh, so, uh, quite a few second-year players we'll be keeping our eyes on for the Steelers in 2023. Uh, Josh, which second-year player uh, after the season is over with uh, will have made the biggest jump? Oh, um, I'm going to keep Pickett and, and Pickett out of it. Uh, I'm going to go with, with Connor Hayward. I, I really like what he did down the stretch there. Uh, I still don't know exactly what his role is going to be. I think Kenny Pickett hinted the other day on the Cam Hayward podcast that Hayward's going to be um, you know, running around a lot in training camp and is going to have an expanded role. But uh, I think he's going to be that guy that we're talking about as like, wow, this guy could be a legitimate you know, pass-catching threat for us, move around. He could be that H-back that they haven't had in a while. And I think he's going to I think he's gonna improve a little bit as a blocker. I think he's had a full offseason now to, you know, go back and look at his tape and then see where he needs to improve. He looks a little bigger. Uh, you know, it looks like he's added some, some good weight here. So uh, just the way that he closed last season and the way, you know, some of these guys are talking about him and his versatility and how they can move him around, I think he's going to be that – that underrated second-year player that, that has the biggest jump uh, by the end of the year. All right, uh, Jonathan, uh, second player makes the biggest jump. Well, I mean, the layup answer would probably be Calvin Austin the third, just because he didn't play at all last year and <laughs> being able to say, okay, he's going to make a decent contribution, but with guys like you know Pickens and Deontay Johnson and Allen Robinson ahead of him, you know how much is he going to do that? Being able to contribute potentially, you know, as a splash play receiver as well as as a kick and punt returner. I like that one, but the one that I do think that's going to make the biggest jump relative to what we saw last year is Demarvin Leal. If we're leaving out Pickens and Pickens, I think with Leal, like you know, he missed time last year with a knee injury. He only had 14 combined tackles. He had three pass deflections. He had one tackle for loss, no sacks, and he playing in like 11 games. So, and the big question with him all like Aussie is like, what is he? Is he like, you know, a stand up like oversized outside linebacker? Is he as a three, four defensive end? And basically every single coach, every single front office manager that you've talked to is like, he is whatever you want him to be. He's a very versatile, like defensive lineman that can, you know, play up and down the line of scrimmage. And, you know, we just want to be able to utilize him and not hinder him with that versatility. And I think that we're going to see that a little bit more this year in terms of him being able to sub in in different packages, obviously behind guys like Larry and Ogunjobi and again, again, behind guys like uh, Cameron Hayward and just see that athleticism come to play both like as a three, four defensive lineman, as well as potentially as like, like a oversized outside linebacker to set the edge against the run should, you know, Alex Highsmith or TJ Watt miss time and, you know, shuffling guys in and out. I think that, you know, you're going to see a lot more in terms of pressure that he generated last year as a pass rusher, uh, convert into sacks or tackles for loss, just being able to finish plays. Like, because for the longest time I look at like a guy like Stefan to and how much athleticism and how much he flashed on tape, but he just always struggled to really finish plays. So I think that not comparing the out to it by any means, but I think like as he goes into year two and potentially into year three, I think that he's going to do a better job of finishing down the stretch in terms of being able to finish for sacks and being able to have more of an impact on the stat sheet. All right. Here's an interesting question. I thought to ask both of you guys, who is the unsafest is unsafest a word? Uh, who is the unsafest, safest player on the Steelers roster entering training camp? In other words, 
who is a player that most people would view safe, but would be the unsafest of the safe? <laughs> uh, that is, I'm going to say Zach Gentry. I feel like it's, it, a lot of people think he's going to make the roster just because he's, you know, that, that tight end too. He can block. It seems like, you know, right after they drafted Darnell Washington, everyone was super high on him. And then there's some out of context clips coming out of, you know, some of the off season workouts and stuff where he doesn't look all that great. And now people seem to be down on him. I, I, I kind of go back and forth and I, I think, Gentry has a, a feeling of being safe around him because of his role and you know you know what he brings to the table. But I also feel he's unsafe. Like if Washington is impactful as a blocker right away and Hayward takes that step forward, I think he does. Do you need to keep tight ends? Um, so that's that's the first name that popped into my head when you brought that question up. But I, I am curious to hear what Jonathan says because that is a great question. All right, Jonathan. Yeah, I kind of gravitate to Gentry as well, too, uh, when it comes to unsafest, safest player. I guess another name that kind of comes to my mind and I kind of wrote about yesterday was uh, James Pierre, the cornerback, uh, just because, you know, they didn't restrict uh, restricted tender him this year. They brought him back on a small minimum deal. And yeah, he's basically been passed up on the depth chart again, having guys like Patrick Peterson, having Levi Wallace, having probably Shannon Sullivan in the slot, having, you know, Joy Porter Jr., Corey Trice Jr. ahead of him. And, you know, if they carry five, six cornerbacks, like does one of the other guys uh, show out in the uh, in the preseason? Well, if it be, you know, a Chris Wilcox, a Lou Barku, or, you know, any of those other corners that are out there, or Duke Dawson, like do any of them like outperform what Pierre has provided thus far in terms of, you know, Pierre's been a very good special teams player, and, you know, has come in and stepped in, you know, when needed as a defender, whether it be as, you know, a sub package or a rotational defender or as a starting cornerback. He's had those moments, but he's also had moments of inconsistency that has been really frustrating because I know remember going back into last season where you were kind of expecting, OK, is this like where Pierre takes a jump, you know, going after like a rookie year, going to his second year and then it was third year. Does he take a jump and become that, you know, diamond in the rough Mike, Mike Hilton S type of player that Pittsburgh got as an undrafted free agent. And how we're sitting here is like, okay, is James Pierre just a guy just like you can, he helps you, but he doesn't like move the needle at all. And I guess that's one name that I'm kind of watching. Like he needs to have a big camp to really solidify his roster spot because I think that he does bring a good contribution to the team, but it's, also, do does Pittsburgh want to try something different in terms of the cornerback position? So that's one name that I'm kind of gravitating toward where, you know, naturally you'd be like, okay, yeah, he can make the team as like, say, that CB6 or CB5. But, you know, I think that we have to watch him in terms of does he like earn it and show it here in training camp? I think the other name that I'd throw in there too, Dave, is, is Trey Norwood. Uh, you know, obviously they've added, you know, quite a few versatile defensive backs like Jonathan pointed out earlier. Uh, and, and Trey Norwood, really fell off last year. I mean, he led the Steelers in missed tackle percentage last year. I think it was 32%, which was an absurd number. Uh, you know, I don't know what his role is defensively at this point. He struggled on special teams, but he seems to kind of be penciled in as that, you know, that do everything defensive back that can play the slot, can play, you know, that deep center field role. He's played in the box. Um, uh, so that's kind of that that other name that I'd throw in there where he, feels safe but he might not be safe just because of all the other additions they've made this offseason and how he performed in 2022 
I think. I, go ahead. I, I, go ahead, Jonathan. Sorry, I was going to say, I think another one, if you want more of a hot take kind of, uh, you know, unsafest, safest player is Kevin Dotson, the guard, just because we're expecting him, you know, potentially get dealt, you know, right before the season starts or going into training camp just because of all the additions that, you know, they made on the offensive line, especially in the interior offensive line. But what happens if we get to a scenario where, you know, no one's really giving Pittsburgh any offers for a guy like Dotson and you have guys like, you know, whether Spencer Anderson or some of these other, you know, backup players start playing well, does Pittsburgh just say, okay, like, yes, he has been a starter for us, but he's been so inconsistent. He's in the final year of his rookie deal. Do we go ahead and keep a guy that, you know, is on a longer contract or at a cheaper rate than a guy like Kevin Dotson and just move on from him and say, you know what, it's been good. You, you know, have helped us in a couple of different places, but we're going to go on and move on to greener pastures this way and give Dotson that opportunity to, you know, find a different team. I would say I would highly not expect that to happen, but if you get in a position where Pittsburgh can't deal him and he's like be in the buried on the depth chart behind Nate Herbig as like the second guy that would come in, I, it's a, it's something you got to consider and I don't expect it to happen, but needless to say sitting here today, it wouldn't shock me if Kevin Dotson was that surprise unsafe, safe player. All right. Uh, this team had an extremely thin uh, original undrafted free agent class with uh, they tried to sign seven of them. They only signed six of them. Uh, in in total, but they did you know add a couple of rookie undrafted free agents after uh, uh, rookie mini camp took place. Who are you the most? Who are you a who who are you most excited to see of these undrafted rookies once train training camp gets underway? And who are you most bullish on uh, if it's not the same player of potentially making the fifty three man roster? Jonathan, I'll start with you. You know me. I got to go with my guy, Monty Potterman. <laughs> uh, you yeah. stole mine, J.H. Come on. I, I, I can't. I, he he probably doesn't, you know, if you look at him in totality, he probably doesn't have, and I think I just wrote about him a couple of days ago in the 90 to 30 series. Uh, theoretically, barring injury, his, his path is not great. But yeah. within that, I mean, a fullback tape, tape was fantastic of his, and you have to think that uh, special teams demon. But uh, carry, carry on with your with your reasoning here. Yeah, so I would say he's the one that I'm most excited to make it. I don't know in terms of like what you said in terms of like the fullback making the roster. His path isn't great, and going back to what Josh said about you know Zach Gentry being the unsafest safest player. Like I think it's going to be one of those things where. Monty Potterbaum has to show out on special teams and as a lead blocker, as a fullback during the preseason. And Zach Gentry has to be meh in order for, you know, Pittsburgh to make that decision. We're going to keep the fullback instead of keeping, you know, the three tight ends and Firemuth and Washington and Gentry. And then also Connor Hayward, who can kind of intermix at both. But with Monty Potterbaum, I mean, it's just awesome when you have the guy grow up 30 minutes away from you. He plays against your brothers in high school. You coach him at Iowa and now he's playing for the Steelers and he was a lifelong Steelers fan. Like it doesn't get much better than that. And just how he approaches the game, just that like he's exactly what Pittsburgh is looking for in terms of that old school throwback, blue collar. I'm going to just play some smash mouth football and just run right into you with everything I got. And that's where I'm excited to see what he can do in the preseason. I think he has to really show out as a special teams demon, being able to make multiple team or 
tackles on kick and punt coverage. But I think that he's a guy that a lot of fans are going to be able to like to watch in terms of watching Monty the mullet. In terms of a guy that I think may have the best shot of making it, I would have to go with possibly the running back Darius Higgins, the running back that was signed shortly after, uh, you know, Alfonso Graham got added because a guy like Alfonso Graham, he has a lot more speed and juice, uh, but he is also very undersized. Whereas a guy like Darius Higgins, he has a little bit more size coming in about 209, 210. So he's a little bit bigger, like Pittsburgh likes their backs. And just looking at how these smaller scat type backs have worked out for Pittsburgh in the past, it really hasn't worked out for them. We really don't know what's going to happen with Anthony Farland. We kind of know what he is at this point. And while he's a nice like change up from what they have in Najee Harris and Jalen Warren, he just really hasn't gained a whole lot of steam his first few years in the league. You have a guy like Jason Huntley who could be a big kick and punt return specialist for Pittsburgh, but he's also a very undersized back. And then Alfonso Graham also being like what five foot eight, five, nine, 185 pounds. Whereas Darius Higgins has more of that true size and I mean, he also has good like open field speed, being able to run in the low, uh, high four four, a four four eight, I believe it was at his pro day. So he has the size, he has the athleticism. I think that you know, if he rips off a pretty lot of nice runs, I mean, what was it? Uh, Watson, uh, the running back a few years ago that uh, was out of, uh, I can't remember what school it was, but he was just a bigger back that made a lot of plays. And I think that. You know, Darius Higgins could be that guy that has more of that feature back size, has speed. And, you know, if he is able to make some contribute contributions on special teams, like I mentioned with my Potterbaum, I think that he could be a guy that pushes for Pittsburgh's running back three spot. All right, Josh. Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to say Potterbaum. Uh, I think I think we're all excited. And I think, you know, Jonathan being the, the Iowa boy that he is. I mean, that's just that's a personal connection there. Uh, I'm going to go. With Jordan Bird, um, you know, I, I think he's an explosive type player. Uh, I wonder if he can kind of have that impact like a Stefan Logan did as a return specialist. That could be a way that he makes the 53-man roster. Certainly don't think he's going to as we sit here today, but I am curious to see how he looks, you know, when he touches the football and see what he can do. Um, the guy that that I think could make the 53-man roster, though, you know, part of me wants to say BT Potter because I, I do think this is a huge year uh, for Boswell. He's older. He's coming off of more, you know, groin and hip injuries. Uh, but I'm going to say David Perales out of Fresno State. He's got some decent tape as a pass rusher. Uh, he's kind of just that that high energy, high effort guy. Uh, I do think there is a, a world in which the Steelers keep five outside linebackers. Uh, and I think he's a guy that that could come in, make some plays on special teams and 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 really kind of force his way uh, onto the roster in a sense. If I'm remembering correctly, wasn't Howard Jones an undrafted free agent and he kind of had a splash there in preseason and wasn't he on the 53-man roster? All these years are, are blurring together, but um, if, that if feels... He, if, if he did... I'm trying to remember if he ever made the 53 I don't think he ever played in a game, but I think he... Yeah, I'm drawing a blank. I just remember him having plays in, in, in preseason. Uh, maybe he was a practice squad guy, but uh, I, I think Perales is the guy that's going to, uh, you know, open some eyes here and has a chance to make the fifty-three. All right, who wins the uh, the annual Joe Green Rookie of the Year uh, award uh, for this team? That's part one of this question, and the second part of the question is: Will all of the draft picks make the Week One fifty-three man roster? Josh. 
I'm going to say Joey Porter Jr. wins the Joe Green Award. I think he's going to play more. He's going to have more of an impact. I think Broderick Jones is, you know, going to be brought along slowly in a sense. I I don't think all the draft picks make the the 53 man roster. And I think the the quote Spencer, unquote yeah. Spencer is the question. Yeah, I think that's the the you know the quote unquote safe one there where I think he's that he's the one you circle as the guy that doesn't make it. Um, but again, he does have that great versatility along the offensive line. Played all five positions in college, and, and maybe he's just that Swiss Army knife that that Pat Meyer says, "Hey, we can't even um, you know if, uh, we can't not have him on the roster." Um, so, but right now, though, I think he's one that that gets cut and, and makes the practice squad. Jonathan. I think when it comes to the Joe Green Award, I think Porter has a good chance, but against how much does he see the field with guys like Levi Wallace and Patrick Peterson and how does that whole thing like work out? And that's probably like one of my biggest questions, you know, when training camp and the preseason comes around. It's just how does Pittsburgh devy up, you know, the the starting cornerbacks and you know in a base defense, but also like when they go sub package, like are all three on the field, is one still off the field? Like how does that work? Because while Joey Porter Jr., you know, has that pedigree. He still also is a rookie and, you know, Patrick Peterson isn't going to be caught staying on the bench. And then with a guy like Levi Wallace, like, while he may not have the highest upside, he did play well last year. And it might be hard to start a rookie second round pick, high second round pick off of over a guy like Wallace right out the gate. So it's like, how much time does he see? And that's the same question with Project Jones, because I think if he sees the field immediately, I think that he's kind of a shoe in for the ward, just being that first round pick. If I had to take a guess right now, though, I'm going to probably go with Keanu Benton as the Joe Green or yeah, Joe Green award winner, just for the fact that I think his path to playing time is the easiest, especially at the nose tackle position and being able to start out there. And then just hearing the comments of like Terrell Austin and the rest of the defensive staff, like they want to start him out at nose tackle, but have him being able to move around as well too, as he gets more comfortable there. So a question is, is just like, okay, does he see, you know, a lot of the start snaps as a starting nose tackle, say he beats out like a guy like Braden Fajoko or, you know, Montrevious Adams out of camp. And how much does he factor into sub packages? Like say if, you know, Watt or, you know, Larry Ogunjobi need a breather. Like how much is he playing there? I think if he starts to see work in sub packages as well as his team starting nose tackle, I think he has in, in a good position to make the biggest impact and win that award. When it comes to like if every rookie makes the opening 53-man roster, I think, again, you have to spe- circle Spencer Anderson as that guy that may not make it. And I think that this directly plays to what happens, happens with a guy like Kevin Dotson. Do they trade him? Does he like somehow like unexpectedly get released? Because I think if Kevin Dotson's on this roster, Spencer Anderson is not. But if Kevin Dotson is off of this roster, I think that really helps Spencer Anderson's chances of making it. So right now, as we sit here today, Kevin Dotson is a member of the Steelers. So I would say he's probably on the outside looking in. But should he get traded, released, whatever it may be, I think that greatly increases his chances and making every single rookie make the roster. All right, I want to save some questions for the Friday show, but from where where uh, we'll, we'll end with this question, from where you sit here right now today, uh, name me the top three positions the Steelers will draft uh, in 2024, and it could be in any order. Essentially, what are uh, the top three biggest needs positionally for this team in the 2024 draft from where you sit right now today. I'll start with uh, Jonathan on this. One. 
Yeah. When it comes to positions, I was planning on writing an article later today about how Pittsburgh drastically needs to make a big splash at inside linebacker. And I know that, you know, inside linebacker has been overall devalued over the last couple of years. So like, especially when it comes to like, you look at the running back position and you look at some of the top linebackers that have been there in the game right now and how they're second and third round picks. But you just look at the need that Pittsburgh has at have, needing a difference maker at the position that they haven't really had since Ryan Shazier. And, you know, if you want to say that Vince Williams was a difference maker, I would say that he was a difference maker in a lot of different uh, scenarios for Pittsburgh. But they just have been continually trying to take a bite at the apple at the free agent linebacker. They obviously tried and failed with Devin Bush, but what if that be the mental thing? What if it be the injury thing? Like it just didn't work out and they just didn't project him as a guy that, you know, would be a splash play, you know, linebacker because he didn't really do it a whole lot in college at Michigan, much as you guys have talked about. I think that what if it be in the draft, like with a guy like Jeremiah Trotter Jr. or Barrett Carter out of Clemson or some other guys, or what if it be a splash free agency ad? you know, at inside linebacker, I think that they really need to solidify that room just because you look at all levels of the defense, you have a guy like Cameron Hayward and Manning, the defensive line of that leader. You have the guy like TJ Watt and even Alex Highsmith in a sense being that leader and that difference maker at outside linebacker. You have mm-hmm. cornerbacks like Patrick Peterson's long in the tooth, but he's definitely that leader. You have a guy like, you know, Mick Fitzpatrick at, at safety. Who is that guy? Is that Cole Holcomb? Is that a line Landon Roberts? Are they long for the team in terms of making it past one to two years? I think that they need to make that long-term investment inside linebacker. And then after those positions, I look at, you know, specifically like strong safety, a long-term solution at strong safety. And then I would probably say either center or right tackle. I just think with Keanu Neal and the injuries that he's battled and how he hasn't really been that guy over the last couple of years, you know, bouncing around from Dallas and then bouncing around to Tampa Bay last year. I think that Pittsburgh needs to find that quality running mate opposite of Minka Fitzpatrick in the secondary, a guy that can play as that sub-package linebacker that can kind of alleviate the struggles that the linebacker position has had, but also being able to make plays in coverage. And then a guy like center or right tackle, it kind of comes down to, it's like, okay, do you want to have Chukumwa Korofor on this team longer past his current deal? Do you want to have Mason Cole? Mason Cole isn't that Marquise Pouncey, Damani Dawson, Mike Webster as center, but you know, he represented himself last year in a year where he was beat up really bad. Also, you look at like the slow progression of Chukuma core four, but he's always how he's always kind of left you wanting something. So I think that position kind of comes down to the relative need slash like, you know, the demand with like, you know, whether it be tackles or centers in the upcoming draft class. But I think linebacker and safety kind of take the bread for me. And then something like center or right tackle is like where I would look at next. All right. Decide between center and right tackle. All right. If I'm going to decide right now, I would probably say right tackle. Okay. Josh, same question to you. Uh, Top three positions of need, the way you see the Steelers going in any order with their first three picks in the 2024 NFL draft. I think inside linebacker, Jonathan nailed it. They they have to figure this out. They can't continue to do this, you know, veteran patchwork uh, type job. You know, obviously it felt like they had it figured out before Shazier got hurt. They thought they were figuring it out with Devin Bush, and obviously that backfired. Uh, this, it, you know, on paper right now, just looking ahead, it, it looks like a pretty solid class top to bottom at inside linebacker. Uh, that's got to be the position that they go all out for, whether it's a trade up in the first round again or, or whatever it may be, they've got to figure that one out. After that, I, again, I look at defensive line, 
you know, that defensive line's not getting any younger. I did like the addition of Keanu Benton, but I think you've got to find, you know, that defensive end type uh, player that you can put behind an Ogunjobi or a Hayward and, and really try and develop them. Uh, after that, it, it kind of pains me to say this because I like Mason Cole so much, but I think you've got to find that high-end center. You know, this this franchise has a, a history of elite-level centers, and while I thought Mason Cole was was really solid last year, I think you've got to find that next guy at center, that guy that you can pair with Kenny Pickett long-term and, and have that pairing, you know, like a Roethlisberger and Pouncey was. Uh, so those three positions in any order – uh, I, I'm good with, you know, next year in the 2024 NFL draft. Jonathan, who's next up on your summer scouting series? Ooh, summer scouting series. I'm thinking uh, what I'll probably do is James Williams, the safety out of Miami. Uh, that guy is a very interesting player having like standing about six foot four, six foot five, being around 205 to 10 pounds. He's played as a sub package linebacker. Like when he was in high school, he was a very, a uh, highly recruited uh, prospect or, you know, recruit coming out and just how he kind of stood out a lot from that Miami defense that has been, you know, they've seen some lean years the last couple of years, but James Williams is a guy that, you know, gives off that vibe of being that good, strong safety that can aid in the box. He plays very well near the line of scrimmage, kind of that Cam Chancellor-esque kind of role, but he also has shown the ability to do well in terms of playing in zone coverage, being to make drops, and just having that length and that wingspan to be able to get test passes against you know running backs and tight ends. So he's a very intriguing player for me, especially in this upcoming safety class, and I can't wait to get into more of his tape. All right, I'll definitely uh, look forward uh, uh, for that and and the rest of uh, your summer scouting series uh, as as you know the college season gets underway and 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 obviously the NFL season gets underway. I'm going to save a lot of these questions. Uh, we'll probably reconvene on Friday uh, with Alex uh, on on vacation, staycation, if you will. Uh, but in the meantime, let's see. You can follow Josh on Twitter at by Josh Carney. You can follow Jonathan Hightritter on Twitter at J underscore Heights. That's H-E-I-T-S. Uh, guys, I appreciate uh, you both being on the show today. Help filling in for Alex. We'll, uh, once again, the plan is to reconvene on Friday here. Uh, if you're listening, you can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. Follow the show at Terrible Podcasts. Uh, you can email the show, theterriblepodcast at gmail.com. Maybe we'll dive into some uh, listener uh, uh, questions on the Friday show to kind of wrap that one up there, kind of let those build up in the uh, email machine there. If you want, uh, let's see, if you want to uh, support the site, cedarsdepot.com, hit the donate button up right navigation bar. Also, if you'd like an ad-free version of the site, cedarsdepot.com, hit the ad-free button. Uh, upright navigational bar. So uh, until Friday, once again, Jonathan, Josh, thanks for joining me. And as always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and today, Josh Carney and Jonathan Hightrader. Have a great day.